As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, Dad. Story time? Is that... Now, where were we? King Ridley was about to climb the tower to rescue Princess Talia from evil Queen Ned. Wait. No spoilers. Dad, you've read this like a hundred times. Well, that doesn't mean that the ending couldn't miraculously change. Welcome, everyone, to what I think is a very special episode of the Positively Trek Book Club. And it's special for a couple of reasons. It's special because we have a new Star Trek release, and that means we get to speak with an author, which is always a fun time and always something I really look forward to. But we also have the return of the prodigal co-host. We have Bruce Gibson returning. Bruce, welcome back to the show. Yeah, you thought you could get rid of me, but of course, I can always come back. <laughs> <laughs> the seat is always open for you, so really thrilled to have you here. Uh, really excited that you contacted me wanting to do this episode uh, for this new release, the first novel in the Star Trek Strange New Worlds banner and written by John Jackson Miller, and we are so thrilled to have him back on the show as well. John, welcome back to Positively Trek. Uh, glad to be here on your very special episode, although very special episode in TV land means uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> about, uh, it, 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 it'll, it'll be an episode where I'm going to have to come to grips with my shoplifting or something else like that. One of those, uh, uh, one of those uh, episodes of the old sitcoms where they'll drop <laughs> out the uh, uh, laugh track for most of the time so that we can, uh, and have a, we'll have a phone number at the end saying, if, uh, if you want to learn more. <laughs> It's either that or like a beloved secondary character dies or something like that. But I, I'm really, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, uh, goes to prison for, for, you know, reckless driving or something like that. And uh, then, then we'll <laughs> exactly. talk about it's, it, it's amusing. Cause I was uh, on, uh, I, I was at uh, Great Lakes Comic Con in Detroit and I got to spend a lot of time with uh, Dan DiDio, who is, uh, he, he was, uh, I guess editor in chief or something like that at DC Comics, but we spent most of the time talking about his time at ABC, uh, where he was in daytime programming for a while, and uh, uh, he was involved with the very last ABC after school special, and mm. uh, which is <laughs> every single one of those was a very special episode. Well, I still think this qualifies as a very special episode because one thing that has been rare lately. Uh, at least few and far between, is new Star Trek novel releases. And we do have one to talk about. Like I said, this the first Star Trek Strange New Worlds novel, The High Country, and uh, beautiful hardcover edition it's come out in. And uh, I, everybody, I hope you've picked up your copy and have read through it. Uh, we'll start out spoiler-free, but we'll get into spoilers later and we'll give you ample warning, but there will be spoilers. So this episode, best consumed having read the book. So uh, yeah, let's launch right into it. This, of course, not not a spoiler to say, it's Strange New Worlds. It involves Pike and the crew of the Enterprise. Uh, and this is, even though it's the first Strange New Worlds novel, it's your second Christopher Pike novel. It is. Uh, we had a proto uh, Strange New Worlds novel in uh, Star Trek Discovery, The Enterprise War, which was the first novel where it was written, where anybody who was working on the book had actually seen, you know, Anson Mount had actually seen, uh, you know, what they were doing with 
uh, Spock and number one in Discovery. And uh, so uh, this got to be a return to that. And uh, in some measure, this book is a, I don't want to say it's the reverse of that novel, but uh, it, it that novel was mostly spent in space. Uh, and uh, you know, a lot of time on board Enterprise, uh, and uh, a lot of time in you know physical combat for absolute certain, uh, and space combat and that sort of thing. Uh, and I wanted to do a book here where uh, it was uh, the opposite of that. Yeah, you know, I go back to my very first Star Trek novel, uh, Takedown, where I got to the end of the book and I realized they hadn't set foot on a planet in the entire book. Yeah, you know, this is strange new worlds, so there obviously should be you know strange new worlds. Yeah, again, I looked at what I had recently done. I had done uh, the uh, discovery novel Die Standing, which uh, did have some world building in it. I had you know a an, a region of space with three planets with you know triangular trade and very unusual alien life forms living there. And uh, but I didn't spend the entire book in any one of those places. Uh, you know when I was asked to write the novel uh, uh, by uh, Kirsten Beyer and Margaret Clark. I said, you know, what I really want to do is do a seriously deep dive on a single planet, you know, one planet, many worlds, uh, one planet, many cultures, one planet, many secrets. You know, I want to do the kind of story where, you know, you don't have to think about the, you know, the first contact and then the second contact and then the third contact. I want the, the crew to be there for a significant period of time where they have to live with their decisions uh, and they have to live with whatever, you know, they, uh, they end up wreaking on this planet uh, just by their very presence. And, and so that was, uh, that was kind of uh, partially the starting point. Uh, and uh, you know, the other thing is I knew I was going to put Pike on a horse. Uh, I think I had the high country title immediately uh, in the tradition of, uh, you know, other, you know, Westerns, uh, like the, again, the, the big country and, uh, and ride the high country. That's, that's one that didn't actually use the full, uh, high country, uh, uh, uh phrase, but I, I'm like, okay, I, I want something where, you know, the fact that this is on a planet and we're trying to get back to space and we're also trying to, you know, maintain our, uh, our Federation and our personal principles. Uh, at the same time, that's that's one of the other high countries in here. Uh, and uh, and, uh, you know, there's there's where things get kicked off at. You know, when you did Enterprise War, it was before Strange New Worlds premiered. So you created some characters for the Enterprise. And now we know who the bridge crew is with Strange New Worlds. Um, even though this novel takes place mostly on a planet, there are some scenes on the Enterprise. Are there some characters you brought over from that other novel into this? Uh, yeah, we uh, we mention uh, Galagian. Uh, he's not on the ship, but uh, the uh, he was the one of, one of the revolving door of engineers that we've got on this uh, spaceship. Uh, and so, you know, he comes up very uh, early. Uh, there are two other uh, members of engineering, uh, Galka and I think Jallo, uh, who were uh, who were in Enterprise War as well. Uh, that we brought them in. You know, one of the tricks is, you know, every time this ship goes back to port, it seems to have new people on it. So, you know, one of the things, if people go back and listen to my episodes about Enterprise War, uh, back in that time frame, uh, you know, we were basing it on just what we could see about the Enterprise in, you know, the snippets of discovery where we could actually see the ship. And one of the things that I had determined um, you know, I actually uh, have a, uh, I was, I was keeping a cheat sheet of who was in what, uh, chair and, oh, and, wow. uh, and who, who, who was in what chair and also who had been in what chair, uh, over time. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that, uh, I realized was that at least as of discovery, uh, season two, this was a really top heavy command structure on enterprise and that wouldn't stay the same. Uh, cause we had like you know, two, three commanders or Lieutenant commanders or, or something like that at that point. By the time we get to the high country, the, uh, the structure of the command structure aboard the ship is much different. And, uh, you know, we have a, a number uh, of people who have cycled off clearly because either we haven't seen them and they're just off shift or they're gone. Uh, so, um, I wasn't going to, for example, 
uh, you know, some of the some of the people that were uh, you know helming the ship and Enterprise War. I wasn't going to unilaterally say that they had left. I wasn't going to unilaterally say that they they were still aboard the ship just because we have not seen them in any of the ten episodes that that came out during uh, you know, the first season. Uh, for all I know, they're there, and uh, for all I know, they they went off and uh, went into the private sector somewhere. I I don't know. So I was very careful that the only characters that I brought back uh, were the ones that I had created. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I like that bit of connective tissue between those two novels. And also I really appreciate the fact that this novel is a little bit different than most of the modern Star Trek novels, with the exception of like the TOS novels in that strange new worlds kind of lends itself to that more traditional style of Star Trek storytelling. You can put a story in the middle of season one without worrying too much about them, you know, being in the middle of, right. of chasing the red angel or, or some other big, huge overarching story going on. But at the same time, there are very specific kind of changes that happen throughout the season. So you did pick a very specific point to place this story. And I was wondering how you came to that decision, why you placed the story there. Um, one part of it was Kirsten Beyer in discussions with her, Kirsten, the you know, executive producer of the series, uh, who I, I speak with in doing all the streaming books, uh, she said, okay, this guy Hammer, uh, you know, the actor Bruce Horak does just a wonderful job here. If there's any way we can uh, get him into uh, this book, that's great. Well, obviously that constrains, you know, where I can put the book, uh, at least where I can put any part that he's in. Um, you know, I was kind of caging most of the year as far as when it you know, came to win this book is set uh, in part because I didn't want to give away what happens to that character for anybody who hasn't seen it. Uh, but also, you know, it's, it's, you know, we don't make it particularly clear. It's not necessarily the case that the entire book uh, is set during season one. You know, there are a number of epilogues that could be at some point much later on, uh, and so that kind of gave me the cover to say, well, we don't know. <laughs> it, it could be more than one uh, in more than one time. Uh, but so so we had that. And then I decided because of the nature of the threat to enterprises systems and uh, uh, that uh, that we come up with in this book, you know, this uh, this baffle that is is uh, affecting electrical systems. Well, I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm missing a bet if I don't have this during the time that Dr. Mabenga is, uh, you know, storing, uh, for want of a better term, his child aboard the ship in the systems. But I need, I wanted to have something breaking uh, in, in the sense of slowing down, breaking their impulse to try to go back and save the people on the planet, no matter what, to save their crew on the planet, no matter what. I needed somebody on the ship uh, who was going to say, no, please, let's just stay right here. Let's not get any nearer to this thing. And as it turns out, uh, Mabenga makes the right call because uh, yeah, Enterprise would not have gotten out of this situation. Yeah, I, I almost want to comment more on that, but we'll get into that, into the spoilers. But but I'm just curious, too, because you wrote this, I, I mean, I'm, I think it was about this time a year ago or something. It was before Strange New Worlds debuted on screen. How much did you see at that point, or did you just read scripts? I do not reveal sources and methods. Oh, I, I no, I'm, I know it's it, it's it's basic, uh, you know, basic uh, tradecraft, as they say in the spy world. Ask me about it five years from now, ten years from now. I'll say, yeah, we got the, we got, the, we got this, we got that, we got the other thing. Uh, you know, when we're in NDA land, you know, I tend to abide by that stuff even after everybody knows what's been on screen and in particular when it has to do with you know the methods or 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 things that they actually will provide yeah much later i'll say yeah i mean you know, star wars rebels uh they gave me the uh they gave me the story bible for season one you know uh, indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull i read the script in um you know the uh, the vice president of Lucasfilm's uh, uh, conference room, but these these are things that are significantly years on, and you know, nobody is going to use that information to start quizzing me about everything else in the world. Yeah, well, and it wouldn't be all that difficult, you know, in the fact that you are familiar with some of these characters, like Pike, Spike, Spike, 
Pike, <laughs> Spock, number one. I, the I do that all the time. <laughs> so it wouldn't be that much of a stretch, but you decide to go the route of doing a Western in this one. And I remember when I saw you at uh, Star Trek Mission Chicago, you were telling me how you like to do a different type of book. Like, you know, one book's about this and, that, and you wanted to do a Western. So why did you choose a Western? Well, actually, the uh, the book had been, I had turned it in by that point, but uh, my editor had not, I don't know that she had finished reading it yet or not. I think maybe she had. But what she said to me uh, it has become my catchphrase about this book. Um, it's not a Western. It's a science fiction novel with horses in it. And, and I believe that that's true because there is a real, you know, scientific conundrum that we hit these people with. The, we wrap around it a very Star Trek-y, uh, you know, moral conundrum having to do with the uh, prime directive and, and everything else. You know, it's not just a Western. There are other, you know, kind of genres we touch on in here uh, because of of the nature of what I have happening on this planet. I got really interested after doing the uh, Rogue Elements novel. Rogue Elements, of course, uh, has a has a significant tie, no spoilers, because it's on the back cover, uh, to a piece of the action, uh, which is the, the novel about, or not the novel, but the episode uh, about, you know, if you want to boil it down to specifically the science fiction thing that it is, it's cultural contamination. An artifact from Earth is left on the planet and everybody starts acting like that. Well, and that, that you know, there's an entire kind of Star Trek episode uh, that is like that. There are a bunch of those. This one uh, has to do with displacement. It has to do with people who are transplanted and why that might be and what the motive might be and what happens next. As I say in the uh, in the acknowledgments, it wasn't immediately uh, the case uh, because when they you know, when they when they offered me the the book, uh, it was about uh, a week before I went back to my first uh, comics, science fiction, anything convention. This is the summer of, of 2021. Uh, and uh, I am at very first day at a convention. Uh, I'm not, actually, I'm not even there at the convention yet. It's the night before. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina for GalaxyCon Raleigh, which I'm doing again this year. And uh, I, I get the call from home that the the there's a terrible storm in Wisconsin. The back wall of our basement in our uh, farmhouse uh, that was built in 1853 is caving in uh, because of all the erosion and all the water and everything is is is, is happening. And the result of what happened to us is we actually had to have the house lifted off the ground so they could replace the basement, and we had to decamp. Uh, to a hotel for for a week in the middle of this. I'm writing the outline for this book during that week. Um, and so I'm really thinking about, okay, <laughs> what happens if, you know, uh, uh, you know Wizard of the Oz style, Wizard of Oz style, you, you get uh, taken away and taken someplace else uh, and you only have what you can carry with you or what you had on you at the time. And, and then... You know how would how would that work? I thought about well, um, uh, you know, how is it that these cultures uh, that are transplanted elsewhere still look like the cultures they once were? Uh, what if there's actually some sort of you know a system that is designed to try to keep them down on the farm, for want of a better term, or keep them uh, whatever they happen to be doing when uh when uh when they uh entered our story uh or, or or entered the continuity and you know i didn't arrive at that immediately and i will say that the you know the i went through a couple of uh outlines in each successive outline the the story got far less violent because i i began thinking well i wouldn't have a clash of cultures on this planet um i'd have these cultures getting along and getting along famously uh, because again, you know, there's a there's a there's a mind involved here. There's a, there's a there's planning involved here, and in particular, 
uh, before that last outline, I had had a conversation again with uh, online with uh, with Kirsten, where she had said, you know, this is a chance. Maybe we can do a utopia story where it's not failed, where it's still working for a number of people. And around the same time, uh, I had also seen a, a tweet from Anson Mount, uh, who is uh, who does read science fiction. And he says he, he was kind of tired of seeing stories about failed utopias and and monarchies. And I I have both a utopia and a monarchy. And and I tried to subvert people's expectations about the monarchy and also uh, about, you know, uh, about the utopia. It is the case that for most people, the uh, predicament they're in, the system that they're under is still functioning and it throws onto um, particularly Pike and Spock, who are the first ones to really grapple with what's going on. You know, this debate, they have a debate uh, at one point in the book where it's actually Pike who's like, I don't think we can do anything. I don't, I, we may, we may, we may have to stay here. That's fun. Uh, that, that allowed me to go back into you know there's another episode new eden which was uh which was in uh, discovery which was a similar kind of a situation where there in that case that was that was you know there had been there'd been a number of issues that there actually there'd been there'd been both uh you know physical transplantation of peoples and uh, and then also uh cultural contamination at the same time this is all fun stuff to whip on people that have never really had to deal with the prime directive uh, under that name. Uh, and the prime directive is less than a year old uh, as of this, uh, this book. Uh, yeah, the pre, you know, General Order One existed. And yeah, I went back and dug through you know, some of the really, really, really old books uh, that had you know, full listings of what was in General Order One uh, so that they could actually get into debates with one another about Okay. Okay. Yeah. This. 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 This line in this. This allows us to to act. Uh, but but you know, Pike is throughout this book. Pike is going. Okay. I don't know what I can do here. Una Chin Riley is going uh, as well. Uh, yeah. I can't even reveal who and what I am. Uh, for a good uh, section of the book. Uh, to the people who live on this planet. Yeah. Uh, there's a ton going on in this book. Um, I think this is probably a really good time to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we will be getting into spoilers with this book, diving deep into what's going on. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So this novel, um, <laughs> I like Bruce, you put here in the notes, Cowboys and Aliens. I definitely kind of had that thought as well. And when I was reading this book, I kept thinking like, I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the genre. I don't know a ton about it, but steampunk kept going through my head. But then I realized it's, it's steampunk, but without the steam, like they yep. can't even have that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Both hands tied behind their backs. I mean, yeah, it's steampunk where everybody's afraid of fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I thought was a really fun thing to play with. The fact that this this society or, or really this series of societies being held intentionally in stasis by uh, what is at various times in the novel to be believed to be a, a, a natural aspect of the planet, uh, the machinations of the Skagarans or something else completely different. This kind of idea of uh, fear of technology and 
the juxtaposition of that against the advancement through technology and what that can bring. That's always been a very common theme in Star Trek. That's something we see a, a lot in the original series, a lot in, in modern Star Trek as well. Uh, what about that subject kind of attracted you to telling this story? Well, it feeds into Pike, you know, I mean, and the fact that that he likes, you know, he likes the horses. He likes the, he likes the simple life. He likes uh, you know, ranching, um, and yet he also enjoys uh, being in space and, and and all of this. Yeah, what is it that he likes about these things? Why is it that you know, why is it that the Captain Kirk is raising horses? Uh, besides the fact that uh, you know William Shatner has an interest there, I also noticed that yeah, I mean, right there in New Eden, there's the mention that uh, I think a Wasikan or, or how, however you pronounce her name uh, comes from a Luddite colony. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, I got a Luddite colony. You know, it's only natural there would be a, a, a Luddite colony in California because there's got to be every kind of colony in California. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, well, what if, you know, this is not, uh, you know, some long lost love we've never heard of, but it's still somebody pretty, pretty important. It is that it, that is that we find on this planet. It, it, you know, it's, the, it's the person who introduced him to this life. You know, the rustic life and the appeals of it uh, and can sort of be part of the siren song saying, OK, this is I know you think you, you're you going to leave this planet, but you might have to be stuck here. And would that be so bad? You know, I, I it's more complicated than that than that ultimately. But, uh, you know, it, Pike knows that he's got this responsibility in space he's got to get back to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to really tangle with. Um, you know this this notion of what if, what if you had a uh, a force that was keeping people um, you know in this uh, state of grace more or less untainted by technology? There are certainly other Star Trek episodes. Uh, you know, there's there's I know there's one not very good original series episode where it's the the space hippies or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> That I I don't even remember the name of the episode, but it's it's uh it's it's very very late in the third season I think. I realized okay I can I can actually do something with this culture that's involved here. The Skagarans were in it from the beginning because I was never satisfied with the answers that we got in that episode uh, because I could not see uh, why you would bring laborers from another planet you'd, you'd go out of business very quickly doing that <laughs> it it seems like there's a, a lot of ways to to uh do that differently so uh, i i thought well there th what if there was another motive what if there was another motive what if our understanding of that episode is not the actual fact and and then I, I i thought well let me give some texture to you know the people that are are involved in this you know, and that gets us into, as I say, this 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 monarchy, which you can't really tell is a monarchy. They're trying to be as benevolent as they possibly can be. We're thinking of you. We're thinking of everybody. We're not really profiting from you know this place. We're not we're not abusing the system. You, you definitely get the impression that everybody who is in the position that Draco is in has been miserable. That they that they that this job has taken over their lives, uh, and that it is just just you know, kick the heck out of them. And and I wanted to do uh, I wanted to to show that contrast in the family with Solarius, uh, and uh, and of course Solarius ends up uh, being our connection to another one of my novels. Uh, that is uh, that is uh, that is Rogue Elements because we find out about the Solarius front in Rogue Elements. Uh, which hmm. it, which which many people will probably not have caught yet, uh, but it is uh, in Rogue Elements. The Solarius Front is acting against the Silvis Project. Uh, the Silvis Project is remodeling worlds and uh, and transplanting species and transplanting plants and 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 uh, biomes and things like that. And the Solarius Front, uh, we are told we don't see much of them other than uh, you know they're mentioned as as a as a nemesis. They're described as uh, you know a uh, an activist group that very 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 much doesn't like the idea of transplanting anything from anywhere to anywhere. 
And um, right. I'm like, okay, okay, well, that's, uh, you know, you don't need that other piece of additional information uh, you know, to, 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 to understand that, but that's one of the fun kind of things you can do. And I, I got some inspiration from that. I love that. I'm going to have to reread Rogue Elements. Now. That's <laughs> amazing. I, like, I, I do vaguely remember that now. That's wonderful. I love that. <laughs> I know. I wasn't expecting that. You blew my mind on that. I was like, oh, I got to go look that up. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a there's a uh, there's a dice standing thing in there too because of the uh, the Verdian patch. I mean, that's uh, that's that was a Section 31 slash Federation Security Bureau specialty. You know, the Admiral we see in uh, in Discovery had uh, used that material to keep tabs on Finnegan. Uh, and uh, I said, well, maybe uh, maybe Cornwell gifts that to Pike because I I wanted Pike to eventually be able to communicate uh, uh even if all he could say is stay away but it's like okay that would be a very easy device to create uh and uh, and it would not be something that would be thwarted uh by this uh this uh dynamic that's going on on the planet yeah it was interesting how pike's trying to communicate to the enterprise by sending a message by you know reconstructing you know putting that house kind of back together with these patterns and stuff and how and i love how he called the giorgio thing making the delta symbol like in the beginning of enterprise but you know and then how the enterprise is sending things down by like parachute and stuff it's interesting to watch them try to work through this process of not having to use technology and try to do things old-fashioned ways uh, it, it was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, if you if you actually get at your magnifying glass and look at uh, the first map, which is the map from the the map from the little girl, uh, and I say orbital super, orbital orbital enhancement superimposed. Uh, if you look closely at the mill, uh, the mill, the roof of it has the exact de- design that is uh is is seen by the enterprise crew again it was just a fun little thing to add just like the maps themselves were a fun little thing to add and those only came about because of the uh the supply chain problem and the fact that the book had to be delayed three months uh i said you know let's let's give people something extra and uh, i i have this material and I work with my friend James Mishler, who is a game designer, and uh, he and I have worked on a number of things. He uh, he and I co-wrote a a book that uh, or a comic book that uh, released uh, releases from Dark Horse uh, here the first week of March called Skull and Bones, which is a a pirate ship video game uh, by Ubisoft that's coming up uh, later later sometime. I'm not sure exactly when the video game is coming out, but our comic is coming out first. But he's uh, he's very much into games. Uh, and he's designed many maps. And I said, I don't need you to design a map. I need you to help me take the 15 maps that I've got and figure out <laughs> how do we winnow this information down uh, into something that I can present uh, in just four or five maps in uh, in there. And and again, you know, I, I think it's a fun thing. Uh, I did the maps in a book called um, uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith for Star Wars. And, uh, you know, people, people still, you know, ask me about that because it, it, it's fun stuff. So did you draw all the maps in this book and in Lost Tribe, Tribes of the Sith too? Or? Well, uh, in, in Lost Tribe of the Sith, that was a, that was a funny story because I had gotten my maps ready, ready to go or, or, or not ready to go. I'd gotten my maps uh, done during the book and I asked the editor, uh, Shelly Shapiro, I said, I said, uh, can I, can I, can, can we put maps in the book? And she she said, John, do you know who I am? She she used to do uh, she 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 was the assistant for Judy Lynn and Lester Del Rey, so she did all of the maps for uh, all of the Del Rey titles, uh, and also did uh, maps for uh, the Tolkien estate um, uh, that would show up in the later books for the Middle Earth. Uh, you know, she didn't she didn't do the maps for that for that book. We you know that that came from. Uh, you know, that came from a, a hybrid of me and and the Random House Art Department. Um, you know, with uh, with this, uh, we brought in a a software called Incarnate Pro. Which again, if you're designing games uh, or video or not, if you're designing role playing games, uh, you know this is kind of what you're using these days. Uh, you know, and, and then it was a matter of like I said, getting it all to fit because you know, like there's a there's you know, the three the three final maps connect. But they don't connect one one one. 
they're actually like one 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 because we're going northwest the whole time, which doesn't which uh, is, is not something I can communicate uh, via audio very well. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the maps. I remember messaging you and I'm like, I'll go back back and look at the maps after I read each section. You're like, that's the right idea. Because mm-hmm. you don't really appreciate until you know what's going on. It was something where I had to do an additional read of the book um, because, you know, you do other reads for proofreading and whatever. I had to do a geographical read to make sure that everything, because uh, in large measure, a lot of the stuff that I would scribbled down was this location is northwest of that one. This location is on the same river with this. So it was a matter of, yeah, can we can we get it all to fit? <laughs> and then... Uh, and, and then find a place to use it. You know, it's just, it's it's fun. I don't know that we, it was something that, you know, would necessarily be done again. The nature of the book meant that the maps could be of a different style. If anybody is coming in hearing maps and thinking that these are going to be, you know, something like you see out of the, you know, the Star Trek, uh, you know, star charts or, uh, or um, you, know, you know, the various Atlas uh, products, uh, it, yeah, it, it's not going to look like it's in an Elkar's display. These are artifacts that people actually got. I mean, the first map is uh, the map that Jenny drew for Pike saying, hey, if you're looking to try to get to uh, to uh, you know, to where Lila lives, uh, you go that way. Yeah, that was something that I found a lot of fun. Like, I remember being really young, reading Lord of the Rings and flipping back to the map every, you know, two paragraphs. And in this one, very similar situation, you know, you talk about a little peninsula that looks like the boot of Italy and I'm flipping back. Oh, there it is. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. I see. (laughs) It's so thrilling. I really enjoy that stuff. So, and uh, so, I, I, I mean, you remember that stuff. You remember that. And, and, you know, as I say, it's not, it's not necessarily the case that it will ever be done again. But, um, you know, my whole thing is if we're going to charge people for the hardcovers, I like to give them something, something extra if I can. Yeah. Well, you know, the one thing I'm really going to remember about this book, it kind of blew me away because I was expecting it all to be, you know, in the old West type of scenario is when we got these Vulcans on these big 15th century yes. ships. <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. It's like we're on the end of the earth and here come these Vulcans on these ships. And I was like, where did that come from? Uh, yeah, Kirsten and I were discussing you know, this uh, you know, in our email exchanges. And I freely admit I'm about the big moment, the big reveal, the big wow, isn't that cool? Uh, and that comes from my comic book days, I'm sure. You know, flip the page over and boom, there it is. Uh, the big, uh, the, uh, the big display of the ships. It is true that at the same time I was, I was doing this, uh, you know, uh, James and I were, uh, doing the work on skull and bones. So I had, I had ships on the brain, uh, but that would actually come later. Uh, I already knew I was going to include the ships in there. Uh, and again, you know, amid all my other shelves of, of reference materials, uh, and, and my own stuff and everybody else's. I mean, there's an entire shelf back here, which is which is just Horatio Hornblower and uh, and uh, and Richard O'Brien and and stuff having to do with uh, you know 18th century uh, Navy. I knew that I did not know enough about that world, even having read all those books, to do this story in reverse. You know, one of the decisions that I made uh, as we were winnowing down. Uh, initially there were many more characters stuck on the planet. We winnowed it down to, we just got four and then we decided let's, let's, let's show you what's going on with three of them. Uh, and let's not show what's happening with, uh, with Spock, uh, until he can be part of the big reveal. If we had shown that whole sequence, uh, yeah, it would have been a much more congested book to try to write. Uh, we would have gone a lot longer without seeing, Uhura or seeing uh, Una Chen Riley, whose name we had to deal with uh, in this book because uh, when I wrote it, she was Una, and then Chen Riley got added the added to the conversation, and we realized, okay, well, you can't have her called by her first name uh, by other officers uh, as Commander Una. That's no longer her name. Uh, our, our our books are you know for second reference of officers. It's the last name. It's a surname. But uh, but yeah, I, if we if we had included Spock's whole situation in there from the beginning, and there had been a lot more nautical stuff, 
I first it would have dulled the surprise. And also I would have had to have looked up just as much stuff about the, uh, the ships as I had to look up about the, uh, you know, living in the uh, uh, 19th century uh, among horses. And, and I had many advisors on this book. I'll, I'll say that um, both technical uh, scientific, yeah. My my good friend Beth Canan, who um, is uh, she she uh, she is uh, an expert when it comes to bloodlines of horses. And I uh, you know discussed what would be the genetic situation on this planet because they would only have whatever horses came in with the abductors uh, the the abductions. Uh, they would only have the dogs that came in with the abductions. They would only have the insects that came in with the abductions. One of the things that I, I decided to do was imply that there were multiple human colonies and we would only, in some cases, get to see a little of them. We there, There's clearly um, an Asian colony somewhere on this planet. We see the buildings, we see the ships, and it's clearly from an earlier time. It's clearly from the 15th century or 14th century and that tells you the span of this project. You know, that 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 kind of gives you the notion that, yeah, there's there's more population from Earth on this planet uh, than than just, uh, you know, this one group of people that Pike meets. I really appreciated so many aspects of this story. And and just to go back to something you said, I I really appreciate that decision to hold that surprise because. One thing you do is the chapters are very short, but they make you immediately want to flip and read the next chapter because that first reveal, there's a there's a flag with like a circle and a triangle on it. And I was like, huh, what could that mean? Flip the next page and I'm like, oh, Falcons, that's amazing. That reveal, I that's so good. That particular one, uh, and and also, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of Star Trek Enterprise in this book. Uh, because of mm-hmm. course we have we have the horses. North Star was kind of a pain because they never named the planet. Uh, and so I had to deal with that. Uh, <laughs> I had the 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 uh, in, in the in the episode, so I, I had to try to write around it somehow. But no, we 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 have uh, the fact that the Vulcans are your know, refugees from the the Vulcan uh, Andorian political crisis. Uh, so we have that element there, and then we have Hammer who brings in on his own, uh, you know, some elements. Just, just the notion that there are, you know, these these sort of. Um, Al, Alan Dean Foster had a book called Ice Rigger, which was about uh, you know a, 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 a fortress on skis. Well, that could give us another big reveal. That's uh, I didn't get the idea from Foster. I actually was when I was googling what to call the ship. I knew what we I knew what the word was in Enterprise, but I was just uh, I, I was just like, oh, okay, what 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 should uh, what should we call this thing? And uh, and of course, no, no one is no one has ever you know come up with anything completely brand new in the universe. Uh, but this this notion that you know we could we could give Hammer a moment in this book where he gets a chance to you know, do something that he always dreamed of doing and have it be relevant and important and have it be possible because they just happen to be, you know, surrounded by uh, you know, the greatest craftspeople for this kind of work. And, and then we have the confrontations. And a thing about the confrontations is, uh, you know, now that we're here in no spoiler territory, absolutely nobody dies in this book. I think that that is important uh, because it allows us you know, not to totally demonize the Skagarans in this. Some of them are trapped by their own culture and history and, and what they feel is a responsibility to the people on this planet. But they also have this you know, inborn hostility to you know, turning their own world into what happened to uh, or turning turning this planet into what happened to their own world years and years ago. To a degree, they are sincere. Uh, it's just once people are ready to move on, the fact that you know the books that the menders have uh, are you know we're talking about bookcases deep of rules and regulations relating to things that they're not allowed to do because these are not you know, original 
to the original culture. I, I worked to come up with some some things that were just just peculiar, you know, like how lassos were tied. That really, you know, spoke to me like you know, bureaucracy gone mad. But people are familiar with that. Um, you know, there there are things in European Union rules about you know how you can name a cheese. There are small little things like that in you know in just about every every walk of life. And so I come into these things trying to you know tell an adventure, but also you know let's let's light up people's imaginations a bit. Well, I was wanting to ask a little bit about the section of the book with Uhura and her connection with the the empatherms, and in particular this one empatherm or Sari, as as they're called, uh, that she names Empi. And I have to imagine those parts of the book were really fun to write because they were really fun to read. <laughs> they were. Um, you know, what's the best thing you could do with somebody whose job is talking? Give them no one to talk to. What Give, give them, or where their skill is communicating. Give them someone with whom they cannot communicate. Uh, and she realizes over the course of this yeah, that there is uh, an intelligence here, um, and that there is a communication that 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 she can uh, that she can do. You know, it takes a trial and error, uh, and uh, you know, it, you know, she has moments where uh, you know she comes to despair. This allowed me to also dig into you know the new continuity that they came up with, or I guess no, nothing, nothing is new continuity. It's just unrevealed history. Uh, having to do with her parents uh, and the shuttle crash. And, you know, that allowed me to, you know, throw a little you know, nervousness uh, about her situation here. And yeah, I, I, as I perceived it, I have Pike in his element uh, encountering a face from the past. I, I have Una uh, trying to you know, play detective uh, investigating uh, you know, this this culture that she has been brought into by uh, you know by essentially Grizzly Adams, uh, <laughs> who who turns out to clean up nice, uh, uh, and and uh, and so you know she goes to the seat of power, and uh, and then and then uh, Uhura is is just really on her own, uh, and uh, only has vague direction to where she's headed, and you know the fact that. They gave me, a, you know, a, Kirsten said I could have, you know, a month or so of the character's time. That was that was meaningful because that meant that I could get the wagon train uh, and the ships and then the uh, and then uh, the ice sled across a significant piece of territory. Uh, and then the airships are in the mix as well. You know, this is this is uh, this is one of those things where, um, you know, I'm 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 also having to deal with the planetary conditions in terms of the seasons change fast and the planet tilts quickly, uh, the axial tilt, all of these things that allow me to give you a summer, uh, not a summer, but an autumn and a winter uh, within the same month. And, and of course they're also traveling as well. So, uh, but no, I, I, I sweat these kind of details. And again, this is where the, uh, yeah, you know, the people who helped me. Yeah, I would I would use various people as sounding boards, <laughs> uh, including uh, including Dr. Don Lincoln, who uh, who who has a who has a nonfiction book out today. He's a he's a, a senior scientist at Fermi Lab. I knew what I wanted the baffle to do, and he gave me some suggestions as to how it could actually be doing it. As he said, nothing that would stand up to. You know, any particle physicist, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, wanting wanting to poke holes in it, but it would be good enough for uh, uh, for Star Trek, and and he and I are actually doing a panel at C two E two on the science of Star Trek, just him and me. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah, I, I appreciated those acknowledgments. I liked the little bit of the delve into that, and uh, you mentioned the wagon train. I just really got a quickly mention my absolute favorite nudge nudge wink wink to the reader which was the guy yelling out it's a wagon train to outer space and pike says well that's not how i would have put it but okay <laughs> i have been told before that i i can't be you know on the nose on this stuff and so that was where i went with it immediately the first time 
Uh, no, there had there had been a line in uh, in Takedown. Uh, not to get into too many spoilers for people who haven't read it, but basically, uh, Riker is transformed into a higher being in Takedown, and there's a sequence where uh, uh, you know uh, Picard and Worf are pretending to be also similarly transformed. And I, I had originally had Picard say, uh, "We are no longer the people you once knew. Uh, we are no longer, we are no longer human and Klingon." And I had, I had Worf saying something along the lines of, "Yes, we are the next generation." And uh, <laughs> and 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 and, uh, and uh, Margaret Clark wrote back in the notes, "You are not getting away with that." <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that went to the cutting room floor, uh, but. You know, I figured, okay, yeah, I could, I could do a sideways. Now, I, yeah, there was, a, there was a moment at which I considered maybe not the name of the book because I, I always loved High Country, but I was kicking around putting it on the back cover uh, as, as the, the line at the top uh, instead of, I think it's across the lawless frontier, which gets, you know, lawless physical law is not in, in, uh, in uh, an operation, and it gets frontier in there as well which means a bunch of things in star trek so i think that's what i went with uh there was also already a novel with the title uh wagon train of the stars eons ago i feel like if uh braga and moore can get away with Zephram Cochran saying you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. All bets are off at that. Well, you know, he, 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 you know, they, they, if any character can do that, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's Cochran. <laughs> give him, give him that. I needed to have a wagon train. There was nothing else to use but a wagon train. But I, I had so much fun. You mentioned, you know, coming up with the ideas of, you know, what can the menders do to defend themselves? What can the enterprise do to help uh, from above? Uh, you know, the widgets and the gadgets and the things using clockwork instead of, you know, timers or anything like that, using using, you know, chemical decay rates, things that would not be interfered with, uh, you know, dry ice is in the mix at some point, uh, things that could not be interfered with by, uh, you know, the baffle that's on this planet, you know, then yeah, un- underneath it all. And I, I think, you know, there's got to be a heart to the book. And the heart to this book is 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 really got to be you know it's 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 Pike and Lila because he's got to help his friend through what he realizes she didn't come here uh, because she desperately wanted to go out to space you know was searching necessarily for 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 something like this she's got uh, significant issues which I was able to tie back into the events of the TV show yeah at the end of this at the end of this book it's not necessarily the case uh that that anyone necessarily loses you know I get the sense that um even Draco is relieved to be done and and yeah he's he's griping about where he is at the end here uh but uh you know this isn't like rogue elements where somebody winds up in prison uh after this uh this is uh I, I I I very much assume that uh you know he will be chastised uh and and find some place to be, but it just won't be in this business anymore. Uh it won't be in the family business. And again, Lila, I mean it, it ends with her and and the Vulcans. Uh you know, I I felt it was very important. One of the things about writing these very long books uh relative to the other novels, because these are my, my last two novels have been about 30% longer than the usual Star Trek novel. In each of them, I've done several, not necessarily epilogues, but I've shown what happened to everybody. Because I feel that if you've been along with me for the ride for this entire time, I don't want to wrap up anybody who's had a significant arc uh, in a sentence. Um, mm. You know, I, I want our, I want her to have a moment. I want uh, I want the settlers to have a moment who are, you know, who are this is this book is about them uh, to a degree. I want the Vulcans to have a moment. Uh, the the uh, Skagarans have a moment. I, I I enjoyed being able to do that, and you know they give me the freedom uh, to be able to uh, do that. Now I got to say, uh, thanks to the paper shortage, uh, I probably would not be writing a very 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 long book again <laughs> if I had known, uh, because it would bring it would. I, it's like if if the book had been like uh, fifty thousand words shorter, uh, yeah, maybe it would have come out in November. I don't know. 
but uh, but as it was, it, it is actually fifty thousand words longer than Takedown was. So um, it is it's a it's a it's a it's an it's an epic. But I intended for it to be an epic. Well, I notice, and I'm assuming this is because of the paper shortage as well. the The font size was slightly smaller. You kind of had to. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a it's a shorter page count than Rogue Elements, even though the book is slightly longer. Uh, and uh, you know they have standard different fonts that they go to at different sizes. What happened was, uh, you, know, you, you mentioned uh, Bruce being in 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 uh, uh, Chicago announcing this book. This this is kind of like a one two punch. We announce the book. We get the cover only eight hours after the event where we announced the book. And then um, one week after that is when the word comes to me at, a, at another convention in Indianapolis that um, everything has been pushed forward three months. Didn't matter what it was. It was all pushed forward. Uh, and I was like, wow. Um it's much less fun coming out in February than it is in um, November, in part because, yeah, no Christmas season, but also, uh, you know, right now I'm running around. Um, you know, I, I did uh, I did the book launch in Madison uh, the day it came out, Madison, Wisconsin. It was a four-hour drive back uh, during a two-hour, what would normally be a two-hour drive because of snow, uh, the snowstorm that get, that hit. And I, you know, just came back from, just came back from a, from Detroit, and I, I basically snuck that trip in between a snow, a snowstorm here and an ice storm there. I'm heading to, and, and we, and we've had a horrible ice storm today. And uh, in two days, I'm heading to Emerald City Comic Con in in Seattle, and likewise, uh, it looks like the weather will hold. But uh, yeah, I would much rather be uh, you know, launching it. But this is a reason that they don't launch books in in the winter. Uh, it's it gets hard to do this sort of thing. On the other hand, you know, um, there's less competition out there. So um, you know, we're 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 you know, I'm, I'm seeing the book actually in the front area of some stores, which is kind of cool. See, I love your life adventures because I know it could inspire the next Star Trek novel. <laughs> being stuck in a spaceport yes that will be it <laughs> well uh i mean all that's left for me to say is uh, i really enjoyed this novel i highly recommend it and as i often say at the end of these uh if you've listened to this whole thing without reading this novel i question your life choices but you can turn it around go buy this novel read it uh, we've talked about a lot that's in this novel, but we haven't even really hit on on nearly everything. So uh, oh, no, there's yeah. still a lot to be enjoyed in here and, and a lot of fun surprises and really cool stuff. So yeah. I, I think I, I don't have more fun reading anyone else's novels than yours. Like I can definitely say that. Like I always just really enjoy the process of reading it because there's always just fun little things to to consume in them. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I, I write every one of these things as if it's the last one I'll do. And I have been fortunate that it's not the last one I do ever. I might as well swing for the fences. I might as well do what I'm going to do. Uh, I might as well see what I can do here because, um, you know, if, if I'm going to spend three, four months, you know, uh, just writing the manuscript, I need to really be in love with the story myself. I, I need to, I need to enjoy it. I want people to be able to enjoy it. This is why people are spending the money. Uh, and I want to be able to do that. I, I, I so I, I appreciate that. I, I want to, I want to give a shout out uh, as well. Cause we mentioned the novel, the audiobook. Um, you know, Robert Petkoff does a wonderful job with these things. Um, I actually, um, I do an annual radio show on Wisconsin public radio every Christmas this year, we brought, uh, Robert into that broadcast and also brought January Lavoie who did the audiobook for Dice Standing. Uh, into that to talk about Star Trek uh, uh, audiobooks and what's involved in writing it and how things like the shorter chapters are actually driven by me being sensitive to the audiobook audience and also the audiobook create uh, uh, narrators because you know people are you know starting and stopping when they're reading uh, a lot more and we like to give people both places to pause and also reasons to go forward and well i'll i'll do the next chapter i'll do the next chapter i'll do the next chapter um and uh, and you know that that really i think 
uh, is something that, you know, when I started this eight years ago, you know, you know Takedown doesn't have a, an audiobook. It's the only one of my Star Trek novels that doesn't have one. It wasn't a consideration then. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, knowing that that's out there has changed my game. Um, and uh, and so I, I encourage anybody who goes to WPR.org, uh, search my name, and then then they'll find that and also my, my previous broadcasts, because uh, it is a lot of fun. He was in studio at the time recording this audiobook when uh when we did that broadcast so we talk a bit about it and literally it is after that broadcast that i i said to uh to robert in january that it was a shame that nobody would get to see the maps and they said oh yes they can uh because it is a thing that you can do if if you bought uh, this book on audible or anything else you get the pdf and nice. uh and it was on their advice that i I wrote uh, I wrote the folks at um, Simon and Schuster Audio and said, "Here, please. Here's my here's my uh, here's what I want to get in here." And at the top of the broadcast, or rather at the top of the recording, the very th- first thing you hear is him saying, uh, "There is there is this there is this uh, PDF which comes with this audiobook. Please only look at one map every time a new section starts." So that you don't spoil yourself. No, nobody will do it. But, <laughs> but that's but that's the only way that we have to really sort of mimic the book where we bury these other reveals further in. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know you'd be able to see the books with an audiobook. That's incredible. I didn't even yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, the if, uh, Google Play, uh you download uh, the audiobook uh, it, you know, and when you right click it it says uh download attached PDF. Well, I mean, I I also thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I I you know we got an early copy of it, so I took time to read it before we recorded here. And you know, it was almost a year ago when we, we announced the book, <laughs> and it's finally here. So uh, it's been exciting. I can't wait till the next one. I'm just gonna assume there'll be a next one. I appreciate it. It's uh yeah these these books uh you know I. When I turned that in, I had many, 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 many more readings ahead of me of it because that's 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 uh, that's what we do. Uh, and uh, and you know, I try to make them all different. I try to make them all different from the previous one. And you know, uh, Enterprise War is a military science fiction novel. Die Standing is a spy novel. Uh, uh, Rogue Elements is a caper novel to a degree, um, you know, or a crime novel if you want to call it that. Um, and, and, you know, this is a, this is a, uh, a science fiction novel with horses. <laughs> awesome. Well, are you able to, uh, let our listeners know about anything you're currently working on Star Trek or otherwise? Uh, what I can say as well, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that skull and bones comic book is coming out video game or not. It's coming out. Uh, and that's a, that's a, uh, that's a three issue, uh, series that has also been done for a long time. Uh, it is again something where, uh, in that case, it's the fact that the video game was delayed that is, is why it hasn't come out yet. So there's that. That comes out uh, uh, March, April, May. Uh, I've been working on something uh, non-fictional uh, that is not announced. I've been uh, there's a, a non-fiction thing that has been announced, but I'm not sure still when it's coming out. Uh, there's a pair of books coming out from. Uh, my uh, my friend Dr. Amy Sturgis and another professor named Emily Strand. These are uh, these are scholarly books about Star Wars and Star Trek, and they asked me to uh, just write a, a thing for each of them about tie-in fiction for them both and their relationship to canon. And I wrote both of these at the same time. And over the course of writing these, I realized that wow, there are just so many ways that. Um, the story of Star Trek is impacted by the tie-in story of Star Wars and vice versa. Uh, and, and where these franchises are responding to one another and reacting against one another sometimes. And, you know, there, there, there is no coda probably without uh, legends over in Star Wars. Uh, and, and I interviewed David Mack extensively uh for uh for these works and so that's gonna be two books i don't even know what they're called yet but when they come out you know i recommend reading uh, them both uh because uh you know we we get into these things you know the idea of the keeper of the holocron that we have over in uh, in in star wars uh you know really comes from uh, gene roddenberry first 
because he wanted D.C. Fontana in that position back in 1967 or 68, rather. Um, but Paramount wouldn't fund it. Uh, May, uh, March 14th, uh, the Star Wars Night Errant comics, the, the, the three graphic novels I did for that, come back into print from Marvel. It'll be the first time uh, since 2014 uh, that they, those will be in print again. Uh, that's going to be a, a book called Star Wars Epic Collection, The Old Republic, Volume 5. And that finally wraps up everything that I did for the Old Republic in five volumes. Um, and anyway, in the meantime, uh, people can find me farawaypress.com. Uh, got behind the scenes notes on most of my older works there. Have not had time to do them on uh, the, the 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 Star Trek novels lately. Um, I should just put links to the podcast there. Maybe I should do that. Um, uh, JJM Faraway uh, is uh, is the handle on uh, Twitter and Post.News. Uh, and uh, John Jackson Miller on Facebook and Instagram. Well, I'll just say real quick that uh, Night Errant was the first comic, Star Wars comic, my youngest daughter ever read. So she got oh, the well. library. I remember her doing that. I was very happy about that. And now that the series Obi-Wan Kenobi came out, your novel Kenobi still works well with that. So I was very yes. happy about that. Yes, <laughs> that was and it, e even happier that Ellen McGregor cut a video talking about it. That made me very, 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 very happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'm really looking forward to doing it again sometime, hopefully soonish. <laughs> um, in the meantime, Bruce, where can people find you online? And also thank you for coming back on the show. Oh, too. <laughs> well, thanks for having me again. Um, I had to come back for this one. So I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. Does anybody still use Twitter anymore? I don't know. And I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm out there on TikTok, but I hardly ever use that. And I'm also on Instagram, Admiral Rex with no underscore. And also, if you're in Atlanta, I'm in a sketch comedy show at the end of March with Sketchworks Productions. Look online for all the details. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, you can find the podcast on Facebook, our Positively Trek discussion group. We'd love for you to join us there. PositivelyTrek at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out. We're also on Twitter at Positively Trek. Don't really interact a whole ton there. We just post new episodes and stuff. And we're also on Mastodon at Positively Trek at masthead.social, which is just a lovely, concise little. <laughs> anyway. Which is rare for Mastodon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we will see you in the next episode. Until then, as always, stay positive. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.